Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, episode 219 for those of you scoring at home. All things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric. With me is my co-host, Robert. Hi. And we're back. And guess what else is back? That's right, folks. According to GW's pre-orders, Maelstrom of War Deck is back. Robert, what is this? <laughs> well, let the, the wonderful memory that I have is, okay, we set up a table of terrain. You flip over a card for your deployment zone. Then you flip over the map for the mission. And then you flip over another card for anything like fun and wacky for like mission twists and whatnot. So it was the original home of the secondary objectives kind of idea. But the, the issue was some of the cards were not applicable to some armies. Like you go into Necrons, you draw a card and it says manifest a psychic power. Well, that's like three points that you don't get. <laughs> And you couldn't get rid of that card in your hand. So there were some new house rules for certain tournaments. I would discard so many cards per phase or per, per turn. Um, and then for a while, there was a White Dwarf article that gave you rules for building a deck, which I thought was going to gain some traction, but just never did. I think the damage had been done that people were so against uh, Maelstrom. And this is mostly a U.S. thing. In, in the UK, especially when it came to WTC missions, they just <clears throat> came out with their own Maelstrom deck. There was an official deck that they used for it, and they used those all the time. And I was like, this is nuts. Uh, nothing's more than I draw a card. Hold Objective 4. Congratulations, you held it. Draw another card. Now draw, hold Objective 2. Okay, move the whole army to the other side of the field. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it wasn't my cup of tea, no pun intended, but it was it was very popular. So, yeah, I still remember the one actual mission that I played of Maelstrom, and me and my opponent we ended up getting like the weird like Chevron split deployment. So my point, my entire opponent had my entire opponent's army was stuck in the little triangle at the bottom. Oops, and I had three Doomsday arcs and a whole bunch of other stuff that I could set in the corners and just go. Oh, by the way, I can see your entire army. And I blew them off the table. And it was just, okay. <laughs> Nothing that we can do about that, I guess. Yeah, I, like I said, just the whole the random nature of it was really weird. I was getting, like I said, the, the idea of constructing a deck. So I knew, okay, the... Like, I could purposely, if I was a Necron player, make sure that the Manifest Psychic Power card wasn't in the deck. That worked out okay. There were also a fixed number of decks, uh, a number of cards in the deck, so you you had to play. Eventually, you're going to get a card that wasn't in your best interest. But it was also just the whole, I don't want to be doing this on at this moment in the game. Had this come up later in the game, it would be a lot more beneficial, that sort of thing. And some of the higher scoring cards were just like, I remember there was one, I think it was called Supremacy. If you hold every objective on the table, you get all these ridiculous points. Yeah, it was like auto-win if you did that, but you get it on turn one, you're like, okay, I guess I'll stare at this all game. So, yeah. The funny interaction I could see with that is if you did some kind of weird maelstrom of like, oh yeah, by the way, we're playing the Relic. There's only one objective on the table. Yeah, there's stuff like that. Um, I remember there was some one or two missions where some of them were um, 
face down, so you didn't know what the other what your opponent had. There was also a Texas Hold'em variant I saw, where three of the Maelstrom cards were the same objectives for both players, and then you only held two cards that were unique to yourself. And then as soon as one player completed one of the mutual cards, they replaced that one. So that was an interesting tactic. Um, again, it was just... It wasn't... I'm very happy with what we have now. So I'm like, okay. And we finally got everybody on the same page in terms of if you go to a tournament in San Diego, you go to a tournament in Dallas, you go to a tournament in upstate New York, you go to Scotland, you go to Istanbul. I haven't, we haven't covered a tournament in Istanbul yet, but I'm sure they're all going to be using the same mission pack. We're going to be using the Nachmund season mission pack. Why Why are we coming out with a new mission thing? I'm, it just baffles me at this point. I think at this point, it was more of to, to change up the flavor of the game at this point, because that's one complaint that I've heard generally from a lot of people is that the... Um, the missions, as soon as you play all nine of them, or however many there actually are, they end up becoming the same, and they just feel really samey. And at that point, it comes down to the dice rolls and whatnot, and your opponent to make it feel different, instead of you know the mission allowing you to play differently. I guess I don't know who's playing that many games that they feel that every I've played all nine missions multiple times, so. I am now feeling against multiple opponents. It all feels the same to me. That I don't know. I, I have a tough time believing that's a popular sentiment, considering even at our last tournament, how many people were saying, oh, you know, first time in a while I've gotten out to get this many games in in a weekend. Or this is the most games of ninth edition I've gotten in weeks. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. So, I mean, think about this. If you played even your friend, Three times. Have you really gotten twenty-seven games with the new mission pack? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a a head scratcher as why they're doing this. I guess it's because of the fact that maybe who knows the watch at the GW Open events that they have going on this year. They go, all right, we're going to. This would be silly, but they they generate a different mission on every table. I guess. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, that would not be a, um, would not be at least a draw for me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely wouldn't be. If they did that, I'm pretty sure they won't though. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, apparently last, uh, prior to our show between our recordings, uh, games worship did announce the actual dates for the Roadshow for 2022, otherwise known as the Dachbund season, as well as whatever the season is after that, because I think there's another season, there's six-month season, so it'll be two seasons. And uh, some interesting choices of um, cities that they're going to. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, like one of them was New Mexico. One of them was, I think, like, were they going to Florida this year? I don't know. I want to say they were. I'm going to pull up the article in a minute. I mean, the first thing is no repeat cities. I thought that was interesting. So it is still has that roadshow feel. Uh, it hasn't really been said if they're going to be doing the same missions. Or are they going to be doing um, new you know, terrain things or anything like that? I'm hoping that 
all that Eldar terrain I keep seeing in the pictures is coming out. <laughs> but yeah. um, so some of that... I was actually... Yeah, go ahead. I was able to find the actual article with the exact cities and everything. Ah, faster than I am. Excellent. So the the fun bit is, is that in the first half of the year, they're starting on the West Coast. So the first one is going to be in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, my birthday weekend. Look at that. <laughs> yep, May 6th to the 8th. And then in June, we're going to have it in San Diego. And then for the second half of the year, which means it'll be a different mission book at that point, we have it in Chicago and then in Kansas City. And for the end of the actual GW Roadshow, it's going to end in in New Mexico, of all places. And it's interesting, the way they have it is the Grand Narrative and U.S. Open Final, or finale, I should say. So I'm wondering how the member they were saying you'll be invited to an event if you win key events throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Is this the event you're being invited to? I'm pretty sure it is because when I read through the article the first time, now that I'm actually looking at it, looking at it again by for memory. Yeah, I think this is the the final the final event that you get invited to because down at the bottom they have like it's in this beautiful Hyatt Regency in. New Mexico, and it's probably one of the most lavish hotels I've ever seen an event go to. (laughs) Um, And the other events that they have attached to it are like the 40k Grand Narrative, the Age of Sigmar Grand Narrative, painting classes, and then Kill Team Laser Tag. Yeah, they ran that at it was like another event, but it wasn't big for Warhammer. It was more, you know, like a trade show type thing. And it was a huge hit. So I thought that would be really cool. Yeah. But nah, it's all of these venues are just humongous. And the thing that gets me is when you look at the description for the event in Kansas city, uh, it actually gives a hint of what might be coming out that month. Or maybe just because it's October, it's also Orktober. <laughs> More orcs at this point? Okay. <laughs> hey, man, we have a Stompa, and we need a non-Forge World Squig unit of the same size. Do we? Do we really? Yes. <laughs> I'm also biased. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you just need a updated Stompa um, with a data slate at this point. <laughs> The Stompa Squig. Let's go. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun. Anyway. The interesting as I'm reading through this as well is um, so the gold tickets are, they kind of mention as expected, it's uh, the bigger events if you're not going. So basically any GW event and then it looks like Adepticon, Nova, and um, LVO. LVO. So if you win those, you get to go to the tournament as well. You get a golden ticket there as well. So uh, winning your eight-person GT, uh, a little RTT down at uh, your friendly gaming store may not quite get you a golden ticket. So, well, we get to see if those if those golden tickets can apply to any other larger events outside of those big three. I know those are made like 
obviously extremely major tournaments, but it'd be nice if they would apply to other larger events around the country too. So that way everyone gets a better chance of going to them. So interesting. So good to see that uh, at least they're coming back. It wasn't just a one and done and, uh, and quite frankly, f- uh, a few extra events uh, than the previous year. So it's also excited to see. So uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled for a few more events. Uh, meanwhile, um, looking at some, we have quite a few events over the last two weeks. We're going to cover some of the highlights of those. We're not going to cover all of them this week, but, uh, looking also ahead of this week is if you didn't get a hold of the Eldritch Omens box, a lot of the contents, at least from the Eldar side, is going to be available. It's coming up for pre-orders this week. So get mm-hmm. yourself, uh, your, uh, Rangers, your Altark, and, uh, even the Avatar of Cain will now be available. Mm-hmm. And the other things that are coming out that same week that you can pre-order are stuff like the Shining Spears, the Shroud Runners, basically the rest of the Eldar book that was getting new plastic outside of like maybe some of the Aspect Warriors, unless they weren't getting those. I honestly can't remember if they were getting any or not. Uh, Guardians of the Storm, Gar- and Storm Guardians got an upgrade, yes. So. Ah, yes. So they are but they already got their box out. I've seen it kind of roaming around in the wild. So at that point, um, this, these last few weeks also give a, give a look-see with um, some of the other events that we're going to be covering that have Eldar in their top 10 pools. And we finally get to see how people get to do stuff with those. Yeah. There's some interesting combos. We're looking at that in a little bit. Uh, other key news of the week, which I thought was really interesting as well, is um, Warhammer Plus kind of stumbling a little bit again this week. And um, so episode three of the Exodite is postponed twice now. Will not be out this uh, Tuesday as Wednesday or the previous Wednesday. So kind of like, hmm. But instead, we are going to get a Hammer and Bolter episode, which I didn't know there were more episodes still in the can. I thought we'd seen them all. So interesting so kind of shifting around i hope everything is well because that that's uh exodite looks really really cool it's a has a lot of potential with it being delayed it just gives me an excuse to watch both of the episodes tomorrow yeah now they're they're pretty cool i was a big fan of the the animation style and um i was telling my daughter about this this uh this evening it's the first time we've seen an Exodite since the early 90s concept sketches from Just Goodwin. And the Exodite was like a specific Tau thing? No, actually. So the the basic premise of the story is the Tau are trying to t- develop some diplomacy with uh, the Imperials on this one planet. But each one of their peace talks keeps being disrupted by an Eldar Exodite who's on the planet. And he keeps opening fire whenever they're trying to get their peace talks going on. And for those you don't aren't familiar with the Exodites, yeah, they're not. There's no models for them officially. They were supposed to be back in the '90s. They even previewed them in White Dwarf, and then mysteriously, the line was discontinued along with um, a lot of the Admech big models that you see now in Forge World, like the crazy steam engine looking thing. And what the Exodites are, are simply the Eldar who heeded the original warnings of the the end is coming and Selenesh is going to eat all our souls. It says, all right, let's get out of here. And they kind of simulate sort of the uh, 
who are the blue guys from Avatar? I forgot what they're whatever they're called. Oh, the Navi. Yeah, the Navi. They're basically the Navi version of the Eldar. So instead of an infinity circuit, they are one with the the planet, and they have these gargantuan crystals that the souls of the Eldar mingle with all the other souls of living life within the planet and create what's called a world circuit. And supposedly this technology is highly sought after. So um, there have been other stories of Admech trying to get their hands on it, Necrons trying to get their hands on it. But uh, we've never seen what this looked like. So generally what you saw when it came to Exodites was a few odds and bits and pieces of uh, Eldar uh, models glued to Lizardman steeds. And you're like, oh, yeah, that kind of hits what it looks like. This show, on the other hand, it's kind of like this one man. You know, he kind of appears out of the woods. A couple key placed uh, sniper shots. He's able to take out a, a Tau stealth suit team in, in seconds. It's wild. It's really cool to watch. So, and right. it's also, yeah, and uh, also the plot line with the Tau, how they're trying to make their decisions. And you can see how much the the notion of the greater good really affects their decision-making process and how to proceed. Yeah. The only clip that I've seen that I'm just like, okay, I need to watch this. <laughs> you get to see not one, not two, maybe three warlord Titans on screen all at once. And it's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. And they need them because they, they, they are battling against a Manta, which is the gargantuan thousand dollar forge world model that, you know, made to order and uh, will take nine months to get to your door. But uh, was this foot wingspan or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, I, I think I've seen two of them in the wild. I've never and seen one in the wild. I've never. So you're ahead of me on that. Uh, they are stupid big. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'll have to watch those tomorrow while I'm not yeah, doing anything. Good. I was excited, but it's like, okay, come on. Where the hell is episode three? This is ridiculous. Anyway, so you may have heard, uh, two weeks ago, we uh, ran our event, so uh, the Scorched Earth Open, uh, with much fanfare, and um, had a great turnout, a lot of great people, and a good mix of regular tournament goers, as well as some new faces that I've never met before, which is always good to see, and in a new venue, so it's our first time at the Mesa Convention Center, where we partnered up with the Arizona Game Fair, which I was really surprised how much... So the Arizona Game Fair is sort of a a board game convention that draws easily about 1,200 people the last few years. And uh, we got a lot of foot traffic of people looking and says, miniatures are here this year. We're super excited. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So Robert, uh, first of all, what thoughts on the venue and the event as a whole? Well, I knew I was going to enjoy myself because of the fact that I didn't have to fly or drive out of state for an event because <laughs> yay locals. Um, the venue was definitely a change of pace from our the last time being out in Glendale because mm-hmm. the Glendale space where like it's nice and spacious and whatnot, and you could easily fit just as many people the the accessibility to essentially the rest of the city from the venue is much more diverse out in Mesa than it is in Glendale. Because Glendale, sure, you can walk to just down the street and go to a lot of different food places. But out in Mesa, you could also 
hop in your car, drive maybe five minutes in almost any direction and go to any food place that's nearby because it's a high traffic area. Whereas in Glendale, it was very much drive down to one street and either go left or right. And that's about it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, the, the fact that people could come in and see the event that aren't participating it, I I know there was my game my game in my last round. I think I looked up at the door into the entrance of the gaming hall, and I saw like four or five, maybe even six different people that weren't playing in the event, watching mine and our friend Mark Whitaker's game for something about like five or ten minutes each. And I'm just like, oh, your new face. And I have to say that every time I look up because it is legitimately a new face. <laughs> yeah, that part was really exciting. It was definitely uh, in terms of the, the venues and locations and all that. Yeah, it's one of those when you're trying to find, you know, a location when it comes to running a tournament. One of the appeals, for example, of the uh, the Octavio onslaught and the previous Scorched Earths were at the Glendale Civic Center was that there was restaurants within walking distance, but you're also 10 minutes from uh, the uh Glendale, oh, it's just blank, the Westgate uh, area, which is uh-huh. just wall-to-wall bars and uh, entertainment, and that's where the Coyotes play, as well as the Arizona Cardinals. So it's a, it, a lot of shopping there for the, the Warhammer Widows, and it was a lot of, there's a lot to do there, but it is a good 8-10 minute drive. So it's just like, uh-huh. okay, so made it uh, a little bit different. Mesa also offers quite a bit, and also there was a concession stand on site which was kind of nice as well for the uh, game fair. So that was a lot of fun. So um, yeah, the, the only issue I did have is mm-hmm. something that reflected off of a lot of people was mainly the fact that there was the, there was a rumor about food trucks being there, but the food trucks ended up not being there. Yeah. I don't know whether these didn't come where that was not a, a, an actuality or did they come to an, an entryway that because the convention, like I said, with that many people, 1,200 or so attendees, it's spread across three buildings in this complex. And were they just at the main area where the registration tables were? Or they'd not come to the miniature area? I'm not sure. So, yeah. Um, and that's the thing that no one could control at that point. So it's like, okay. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. Was, there's there's definitely some areas I got like notes for, okay, what, what can we work on for next year? And that was the one of them. It was interesting. There was also a concession stand in the room, in the hall, where we were running both our event as well as the Age of Sigmar event. And I was going, all right, if there's food trucks are going to be here, how much does that cost to bring in? So, mm-hmm. so that was one of the things there. Um, I was super excited to see that the terrain project uh, came through. And uh, I really have to thank the, the team for doing that. Uh, Matt Ball really took that uh, under uh, his uh, supervision and a team of people, including you, Robert, were a part of that. And you know, seeing that finally realized on the table was really cool to see. Yeah, it definitely turned out better than I could have imagined it was going because I think I made all of like maybe like two foam mountain pieces along with breaking them into pieces to be made into those mountain pieces because my work schedule didn't allow me a lot of time to sit there and do very much but I knew at least being there I got to help and 
yeah, it, it's definitely a much better looking event with the terrain and all the terrain was very functional too. It was um, like all of the chaos gates and some other of like the lower, like sh- smaller obscuring pieces that you couldn't just walk through mm-hmm. completely game changing sometimes because it was just, Oh yeah, here's this really thin, but really wide oval that you could just hide behind. And then the buildings were nice and tall enough that people, even with gorilla hands like myself could reach in, in there and put a model in there. And the fact that they were removable from their bases for the sake of checking actual position and whatnot was also a big help. Yeah. Cause those could come in handy if you're something like a Harlequin troop that you're going, by the way, I'm Spider-Man. I'm jumping over the building and behind you, but I need to squeeze in there. And my model is like half the size of you. So give me a minute. <laughs> right. So good. I'm glad here was very playable. Uh, any strange interactions with, cause we had one player I know with a brass scorpion. I was like, Oh, I haven't seen one of those in a while. And, we had no night players, interesting, but um, you know, just curious if there are any a couple kill rigs. I'm curious how they they fared and all that. Um, generally, following the same logic that you and your opponent, like obviously the man with the breast scorpion, I give him a solid two claps of just way to go, man! <laughs> you brought the biggest model in the entire event. The only thing that could top him would probably be a manta. Yeah. <laughs> or or Marauder Bonner. But um well actually he came close. There was a stomp of there. <laughs> the um essentially like the way you would figure it out is you would go, all right, this is the initial placement of the terrain. And then if you're playing something larger like that, you ask your opponent to present the model in that space and go, can he fit? And as long as you could find one spot for him to fit the terrain could be there because I know there was one game that I had against Tyranids where that actually became an issue because the person had two hero duels and they needed to fit them. Their bases are just over like five inches wide or something like that. Just gigantic donuts. So we needed to make sure that they could fit, but otherwise nothing like super awkward or anything like that cool to hear that yeah and you can check uh go on to the smite club youtube page and then will have the um event you know, all five five games of the top table were streamed so you can take a look at those and get an idea what the terrain looked like for yourself and get a good idea of um you know, what we're talking about here you can get an idea of of the type of terrain we had a trade paper on the top table I believe that was our also one of our chaos tables. I'm trying to remember. We had basically four central themes. So depending on what row tables you were in, you had that particular theme and um, relatively balanced from table to table. So we're very excited. All came out really together, came together really well. Yep. From the sounds of it from everyone, there wasn't any major feel bads about terrain. It wasn't like, Oh, by the way, I can totally see you past this because of X reason. It was no, like actually get down true line of sight can i yes no like super like super cut and dry no no like minutiae like oh this piece of eldar 
thing is blocking the tip of my bike's spear. You can't see him. It's like, nah, man, I can see him. Come on. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Uh, speaking of field bats, um, you know, speaking of, as the head judge there, I had to make a, a few rulings here and there, and um, probably, I guess, a lessons learned, I guess is the best, best way to describe it. And uh, <laughs> lesson one, read the packet. Uh, 80% of the questions I was asked in the seven days leading up to the event were already addressed in the packet that we we made some revisions when we got closer to being the terrain finished. We want to make sure people had an idea what the terrain would look like. But in terms of um, cutoffs for rules and all that, that was written back in January. Apparently nobody <laughs> cared to look at it. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Um, in a more serious tone, though, I would say this... Um, if this a good practice would be number one, uh, each start of your command phase, look at your you know, as you're scoring your primaries at that point and um, and any secondaries from the previous turn. You also might want to confirm that with your opponent as well as confirm this is how many points I have for you. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And um, so a simple thing as going, okay, hey, hey, Robert. All right, so if I look at I hold one, I hold two. You still hold more, so I would get. Uh, eight points here, and so that puts me at uh, this number. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have two strangle, you know, two turns of stranglehold, and this many for grind it down, and you've only rotted once. Is that correct? Would that take ten seconds? So, yeah, like um, I know there was one game where um, my my opponent was playing Ultramarines, and I. Every time we both ended up taking raised banners that game, and every time I would go down the checklist of scoring during the command phases, it was I literally just went straight down of like, here's the primaries, check, scan back over the table, look at whatever I can find, like banners or whatever, and, and just go down the checklist. And sometimes things were easier to remember, like, Oh, you got this at the end of your turn. You got this last turn, all this, like anything else that you might have not been able to do right away. And I think my number one asked questions was, did you get my banners? Did you get my banner points? And I'm just like, yes, just, just give me a second. I have to go down a checklist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that came from multiple opponents, but uh, that as long as both people are either active or agreeing or disagree. If both people are active, agreeing or disagreeing about the score, then you guys can find the errors before they become an issue with like, um, in my third round, um, the writing was kind of on the wall, how that game was going to go. And we ended up continuing to play it out. And, once we factored in some other points, like I took two to the last that game, and I did the math of if 
I hadn't lost one unit, if I hadn't lost one more unit, it would have been a tie. If for some magical reason they didn't kill those two last units during their turn, I actually would have won by five points. So it's a discussing with your opponent actively about the score and making sure everything's right and accurate can keep games nice and clean. Yeah. So that, that is best advice I, from this weekend that came up several times in several games and actually some very critical games. And that's where I was, which also brings me to the other point. Uh, if you're not having that conversation, which you should be, but also make sure that both players are keeping score. That was another <laughs> issue. I mean, if you're having a lot of communication, you can mutually agree on the score and uh, maybe have one central scoring ta- you know, sheet or whatever. It doesn't have to be, and that's another thing that came up. Some people are using paper scoring. Some people are using the app. Uh, I got news for you. I see this all the time at work. Garbage in, garbage are out. Uh, if you're not keeping track of these things, it doesn't matter whether it's handwritten or in Hevica size eight font, it's still wrong. So mm-hmm. it, that came up a lot. Where was this sort of this, well, I let him score. Okay. <laughs> and then you didn't have the communication as well. And then kind of, it just kind of fell apart where it was like, it's now turn four or turn five clock is running out. Oh yeah. I got every one of my uh, in, uh, engage on all fronts. Did you? Did you really? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was one of those came up quite a bit, and I just kind of bewildered me. It says, "Why would you let your opponent control the scoreboard?" You know, literally. How did you never once have that conversation with with your opponent? Where are we at? What's the score at this point? <laughs> so it was that was the probably the best advice I could give from coming out of that weekend. I was like, I saw that quite a bit, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, it's that's definitely something that's in player etiquette of just make sure that if you're going to keep the if you're going to keep the game clean and quick paced every time like at the end of every turn the player who's doing their stuff goes all right I'm in here with something like engage I'm standing on this many objectives and they they talk about the board state that's there so that way everyone knows what the board state is currently before going on to the next turn. So we'll talk a little bit about the meta. It was definitely a wider spread. Um, there was still a significant number of custodes. I think they were probably the most represented army uh, of any faction, but uh, it wasn't overly dominating that we hear like, like a quarter of the field was that it was just um, still quite a few. I was surprised uh, only three Tau. Actually, I think there were more Orc players than Tau players, which I was a little surprised by. Mm-hmm. Um, several Chaos players. Apparently, they um, didn't get the memo that the Codex doesn't come out yet, but hey, more power to them. And, um, but uh, in the end, and also a fair amount of uh, Crusher Stampedes, which I was not surprised, but um, mm-hmm. I was surprised how many, I guess, as it was the, my bigger surprise of the weekend. Yeah, as one of those seven Custodes players that was there at the start of the weekend. Um, yes, we definitely were one of the more populated singular factions. And we we got to run for our money a lot of times. Because um, I know, obviously, I ran, I ran to Crusher Stampede in my third round. Um, the Custodes that won the event, ran into Orcs and Crusher Stampede. 
Um, and one other custodes person ran to a custodes mirror match. <laughs> so when you have seven of the same army floating around in the event, you have that possibility increased by a lot. So I think some of the few factions that weren't represented there were Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, um, Gene Steeler Cult, I think wasn't there. I think there was one to remember. Um, there was, I mean, the Slanesh keyword was there as the singular Slanesh army. Um, I don't think there was any, yes, there was a singular Gene Steeler Cult player. <laughs> um, Death Guard wasn't super popular. There was maybe like two or three of them, only like a single Death Watch player. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of variety in the meta for this event. And I'm, I'm glad that people still showed up with the fact that Custodes and Tau are as powerful as they are. Yeah, so overall, I mean, a lot of people had a really good experience with it. Um, a lot of the feel bads, I think, had to do more with the game, the state of the game, in terms of the meta at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, um, it's already changed. You know, it's so, uh, and some of those players who I've had a chance to speak to after the event, you know, cooler heads have prevailed, kind of went, yep, I'm excited for what the newer books are bringing already. And um, some of the previews already from the new Tyranids at this point. So um, it's just, it's always the hard part when it's your army hasn't gotten your turn at this point. It's a little rough, but um, especially when there's a big disparity, like we just saw in 8th edition, the difference between Index versus Codex 40K was a very big, big change. Same situation we have here in ninth edition. So... Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was still a really good event and uh, really good to see everyone and um, overall some really good games. But I have to admit, knowing that what was looming on the horizon, uh, I was as I was working on my new list, because uh, I was, you know, okay, I've got to get back into my league games and seeing what was on the tables. I'm like, I think I have a few answers now that maybe I didn't have two weeks ago. So can't wait for what the, some of these new armies will bring. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that... The, the change for custodes, the putting them back to their original points in the codex will probably be a big difference. Because then at that point, you won't see something, you won't see eight Terminators running around being only 480 points of your list. Um, and also, I can't remember if bikes went down or not off the top of my head, but if they did go down, making them go back up in points will make it so that yeah i can't bring 11 bikes anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it was interesting to see some of that but interesting it is pretty clear your misericordias are free so i was like okay so (laughs) yep i think i was the only custodes player there that legitimately went nope i'm paying for these (laughs) actually of all the things that was what got probably the most traction after the event (laughs) Was were misacord and like in terms of internet discussion and other podcasts talking about the event. Was, that was probably the most feedback I got. Was about it was an interesting ruling you made. I'm like, it's here's what it said. Well, that's the ruling that came out Monday. Your event was this past weekend. No, this is the FAQ from January 22nd. <laughs> yep, the designer note that everyone seems to look over. So. 
Oh, but either no. way. But anyway, I still I still had fun at this event, and a yeah. lot of other people did as well. And let's hope it continues to just keep getting better every year. I think it will. There was a lot of a lot of but stronger foundation. Uh, excited to move forward with the, what we've got. And um, there was also some things we things we like we talked about in the previous episode. For example, this idea of a two day event where the top eight move on in playing full six rounds, whereas everybody else plays kind of a two day two separate RTTs. That's kind of appealing because one of the problems we have with the um, arrangement we had this year, and that's one we want to fix for the next year, is being able to play six full rounds and um, not cut it short at five because we did end up with two undefeated. And uh, we expect to grow the next year. So obviously we're going to need those six rounds to differentiate by having a top cut of eight players. You're guaranteed an undefeated player. So Mm -hmm. I think it'll work out much nicer. There were a lot of players that could only play one one or the other day. So we could be able to draw them in. So that was another opportunity there. So there's just a lot of stuff to still work on. And, um, but very excited how it all came together and, um, looking now we're planning out our fall event and, uh, see how that comes together. Yep. So we can continue to gush about our own event as much as we want with how awesome the terrain is and how awesome the <laughs> venue is, but I know a lot of people are actually curious in what took the event. So the top five placings for this event in fifth place, we have Ali Huang playing Tyranids. They were playing Crusher Stampede. Um, in fourth place, we have Apollo Chang, who was one who made all the way up from Texas to bring Tau Empire. Then in third place, we had Tyler Hepler, a very strong local player here in Arizona, also bringing Crusher Stampede. This guy was a madman who brought five hero duels. <laughs> and then second place, we have Donovan Sayo bringing Tau Empire, which I can't remember if he was playing actual Tau Sept or Farsight Enclaves. By the way, it's Tau. And then the person who took the event was Lee Harris playing Adeptus Custodes. Yeah, interesting where we had um, Tyler was actually on table one for the final. He's the one you'll see on stream. He uh, won his game and uh, Ali and Lee Harris played on table two. And uh, Lee was able to um, get ahead of Tyler for to win the event on battle points. Ali, yeah, was in there with her list until the end, and uh, it was interesting to see Apollo and Donovan able to leapfrog from lower tables up to their um, particular spot there in the top five. Probably the craziest thing about Donovan. Um, so another another uh, pro tip: uh, read your codex. <laughs> so. If this for all you people who hate Tau, this will not make you happy. So Donovan won round one, sat handedly. You know, he just was and people just going, uh, Tau is so overpowered. Round two, he played I wonder if he played Allie. I'm trying to remember who he played. He played a very tough opponent. Yeah, it was Allie. And with her crusher stampede. And I remember coming by the table and it was last round and Allie had picked up one of his larger uh, crisis suit squads. And this is why, and uh, I forgot what's, is it no prisoners where you get points for every wound inflicted? Yeah. It's you, you collect all your wounds and then you divide it by 10. And then there's some other brackets for adding points to it right. on, onto it afterwards. So Ali's like, okay, how many wounds was that? And he goes, okay, that's, you know, well, she kind of looked unfunny and goes, 
well, wouldn't it be this many points? And then it was at that point Donovan looked, what? The crisis suits are four wounds, not three? He'd been playing two games in a row with only three, counting them as three wounds instead of four. So somehow he beat somebody by reducing the crisis suits by a wound. (laughs) And honestly, that's just a simple goof. Like maybe in the old book, they were three wounds. I never picked up the old Tau book. So at that point, it's a, I can't knock him for forgetting it. Oh, no. Like on a regular basis, I'll look at my bikes and I go, da 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 da. You're still four wounds. Wait a minute, no, they went up a wound. They're five wounds each now. God dang it! <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It wasn't until we did our review of the Codex uh, a couple of weeks ago that I didn't realize they're T five now. So I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so <laughs> give you an idea to you know how strong the Tau are. But that was pretty funny to watch that happen. So read your codex, kids. Yeah, no, that was honestly just a, a minor whoops for Donovan. Because yeah, no, if it was if it was, if the suits are, were actually three wounds, then yeah, no, that'd be like all right, cool. <laughs> They're that much smaller. But um, otherwise, yeah, a great showing from everyone that finished in the top five. Um, Allie definitely deserves to be up there because, as I mentioned earlier, she was my third round opponent, and that came down to uh, a five point difference. Yeah, <laughs> I think all our games game. were close. And put down, think about it. And uh, even our finals game was down to three points. The game with Donovan, we're just making fun of there, was I think within five. So all real close games. Nice mm-hmm. to see that. And um, so just yeah, it was a really cool event. Yep. And moving on to uh next event, we have the Glass Hammer GT. So all, all the big shots here. from England here. What's what do they have to bring? Well, in the top five we have Vic Vijay with Eldari. So just normal Eldari, which I'm assuming is just the generic codex. So we're not gonna get into too many reviews here because we're a little tight on time. Um, in fourth place, we have Jonathan Clark with Tau Empire from TFG Gaming. I guess the podcast guys might have a little club out in England or wherever Glasshammer ends up happening. Um, I honestly forget where it happens. Is it? Does it happen in Britain? TFG Radio? They're actually at a. No, no, I'm talking about the the Glasshammer events. The Glasshammer's in England, yeah. Okay, yeah, t- I know TFG is have a lot of guys based here in the U.S. It was just I couldn't remember if Glasshammer yeah. had a random event over here. But anyway, um, in third place we had Ben Jones with Pure Harlequins. So, first of many sightings of Pure Harlequins in the top spots. Um, then we have Chris Radford playing Space Wolves, and then the top spot is Jack Tight or. Or, yeah, no, I'm going to say tight because the other way is really funny. Yeah. Um, with um, <laughs> with um, Adeptus Custodes. Yeah. And he's actually, if you look, we were us doing a little breakdown for the show. We'll have that in, in greater depth next week. But um, as we get more data, he's actually one of the top custode players in the ITC. But also, um, you look at you know points per game and the, the victory. He's, um, he's going to be somebody who's probably going to be in the top 10 soon and probably be there for a while as long as custodes continue to be uh, competitive. Yeah. So he, what you're saying is Eric is he's someone I have to compete 
for best in faction for, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then on to the next event um, by Twisted Dice. I believe this one was up in Canada. I might be wrong on that. So, quote, do not quote me on geography. <laughs> I am bad at remembering where things happen. But um, in fifth place, we have John Hickton playing Tyranids, which I can only assume is probably Crusher Stampede. Um, and in fourth place, we have Lee Jones playing just Chaos Demons. What kind of magic soup does he have, I wonder? Um, then we have James Grover in third place with Osir Yanni, which I think is the Eldar craft Super world. Faction. Oh, okay, that's the actual Craft World. Right. Okay. Um, then Tom Lohman, again with Harlequins. And taking it all is Grant Howarth. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or Howarth. Um, with Tau Empire. So Tau are still, still prominent, but um, interesting, a lot more. I mean, craft worlds were just you know nowhere to be found and now like oh look at that look what we found so yeah no it, it'll definitely be interesting to go back and look over those lists for myself to see exactly what people are playing because i know harlequins are just a buzz on the internet yep. um and then moving to the cag bash 15 i believe that one is u.s locked um in san diego yeah that's what it is um in fifth place, we have Jason Crosby with Tyranids. It, it seems that Tyranids are a firm, like, fourth and fifth place kind of thing. Um, we have Jason Snigowski. That's a name. Um, with Tau. Then we have Brandon White with Eldari. We have Daniel Sanson with Trukari. And then Matt Estrada with Tau Empire. So interesting, I mean, it can, what continues to be, I mean, if you can be Crusher Stampede, um, Tau of all shapes and sizes, and um, Stodes, then you're pretty much guaranteed a win. So, and interesting enough, uh, it seems as if Harlequins particularly bring that, you know, so... But the trick is finding the right combinations with, because especially now with the new rule that you can only bring one sub faction per army or per, yeah, per army. So it's um, it a little difficult. So, especially when I was looking at some of those, some lists here that we were talking about. And also, just, uh, it was a five round event in Western Australia where they did all five rounds in one day, kind of an Ironman event. There were a few interesting lists there as well. So, I mean, the ability to turn off invul saves and still hit you with a high AP weapon is great for custodes. Uh, being able to get some high damage, high attacks is really good against some of the monstrous creatures. Although I'm really questioning mm-hmm. how many fives and sixes to wound can you really roll? There's not there's not a lot of access um, to getting rerolls to wound as well as uh, getting much above strength four in those new books. And then when it comes to uh, Tau, I mean, it's just best advice I heard is you got to learn what it feels like to be punched in the face by Tau and then learn to play the game. It really, it's not just, the, it's not list on list. It, it's definitely a army that plays differently than everybody else. Yeah, it's definitely a, if you, if you play pure Harlequins into anything, they're very much a, they're a high skill level army to play effectively is the way I look at it because if you can't play effectively with 
essentially like three different kinds of units, then you can only roll so many four up and vulnerable saves before your army just kind of falls off the table. And that's where that luck of the laughing God helps with that. And, um, but still, yeah. I remember when the Harlequins, the, the codex came out uh, for the first time and it's like, okay, they're redoing them and see what they're going to be like. And I remember, so it was a guy's first time playing. So he was get, get, still getting his feet wet with it. And a squad of five players took out a 10 man Marine squad with wounds to spare. It wasn't even close. I don't think, unfortunately, of course, cause he wiped out the squad. They're sitting in, in the open and the very next turn, a second Marine squad bolted them down without any breaking a sweat. So it's just one of those learning to, you know, position yourself in the right way, but they will blend through just about anything right now on the top three lists. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I, I need to, I honestly need to run head first into them before Dallas. So that way I can expect, so I know what to expect and watch my custodes army just die. Um, well, I'd be more than happy to oblige because I just went through my Harley Quinn uh, pile of shame. First of all, I was rather shocked how much I had. I was like, really? What, where did all this come from? <laughs> and uh, I'll be splashing them in as a patrol, a traveling player's patrol into my Drakari army. And I'm super excited because the more combinations I'm coming up with that, that, to work with. And I'm just trying to find now what elements Drakari bring or for that matter, do I bring craft world? Do I even think about an army? So an RE so I can mix and match into the same detachment to complement what they bring to the table. So, Mm -hmm. and then to go back to just the last two events that I have on the docket here, um, we have the, here we go, lads. (laughs) That's the name that I've, I've seen around a lot. It seems like a long running event. Um, in fifth place, we have Jarrett Robinson, with Deathwing, uh, it looks like Deathwing has become more popular again. I think it might be because of the fact that Crusher Stampede and stuff like that can get to such high strength that always being transhuman is an amazing thing. Hmm. Um, then we have Morgan Timpai with Farsight Enclaves, so Tau. And then we have Justin Von, Sink, John, Von Sick with Space Wolves and... Then we have Brian Malpass with just chaos. And then we have Jacob Donlin with specifically Ultway. So Eldar. Yeah, that surprises me a little bit. Um, I think early on we thought Ultway would be the easy choice um, coming through because it gives you the um, feel no pain uh, right off the bat. And I guess it gives you also a few bonuses to casting. But um, I'm curious to see what's in the list and how it works and um, see what other Eldari lists come through the, through the woodwork as more players get a little more practice with them. Mm-hmm. And then the last event is the Free State GT. Um, the top five here is Scott Thompson with Tau, Matt Neely with Farsight Enclaves, Ryan Olson with Ultway, Zach Kerstetter with Drakari and then Dan Sammons with Osiriani. Interesting. All right. Let's see Dan Sammons. 
I want to say in the past he was more of a Chaos player, but maybe I'm thinking of the wrong player. But uh, I see him take the event, and that's definitely somebody to watch. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models and if you when you order, they come fast. The order is right and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Give you an idea, uh, prior to this weekend, the top uh, Eldari player was Brody Middleton with 297 points through two events. In perspective, um, the top Admech player has 500 points <laughs> in the ITC. Yeah, I mean, that consecutive win record can definitely change how the points work out. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another uh, Suriani top player. This um, so far before this weekend was Nathaniel Williams. Uh, three events, 344 points. So he was only averaging 111 points per event. Put that in perspective. The top custodes players. Um, here I'm gonna go down. It's Ryan Snyder's top with 752 points through four events. But as I was mentioning earlier. Some of the other players who have played more of recent are getting close to 200 points in event. So it's just um, just really cranking it with the. And so be curious to see um, as new players come through with the new codices, do we see that continue to grow with that? But a little diversity, or will they just bring everybody down and kind of balance out the field again? Yeah, it is definitely one of those things of the meta will most likely. Um, I wouldn't say aggressively change, but it will definitely shift. Because right now, um, if you can bring a lot of higher strength, not like you don't need strength eight to kill custodes. What you need is just volume of fire at strength five. That's what you need to kill custodes. Well, what you use to kill custodes can also kill tau, because tau are on average the same toughness and about the same number of wounds across the entire army. Um, at that point, they just don't have the ability to turn off your rerolls and transhuman themselves, like give and take. Um, but then the skew is Tyranids with their Crusher Stampede. All of that stuff makes the army average toughness of like seven. <laughs> right. So yeah. you need you need Dark Lances, you need Bright Lances, you need Salvo Launchers, you need every single high strength gun that you can shove in there to deal with that, but then you can't deal with anything else. And now with the introduction of stuff like Harlequins, where Harlequins, I think it's the light subfaction, is the you can't hit them on anything better than an unmodified four. Correct. Um, Dark always gets to fight on death for free. And I'm not familiar with Twilight enough to remember what it does, but those are all the big... 
they get the uh, regenerate uh, command points. Oh, so they get to do all of the fun strats multiple right. times every game. Yep. Okay. And it's the only way uh, Harlequins can get <clears throat> refunds on CP. They're still fairly CP hungry too, so that's another thing to keep in mind. So, yeah, with the intro- introduction of them, may- like not even as a um, entire army on their own, but even as like a troop of traveling players and whatnot, they can definitely spice up things and throw off the math on a lot of things. Because I know in my history of playing against Harlequins, just dealing with another army that has a four up invuln all the time screws up my math for custodes so much because oh yeah no i'm going to dedicate these three sagittarium to the five fan troop squad what do you mean i only killed three of them right yep and interesting with some of the previews now coming out for uh tyranids one the big question is still out there is is you know crusher stampede still viable with the new codex I'm assuming it is. I don't think they would come out with it in White Dwarf only to invalidate it 90 days later, but who knows? But uh, yeah. all the talks about the you know, big bugs, it's interesting how they made a slight change to the Gaunts to extend their fight range. I was just like, oh, that could be nasty. Yeah, I know back in the old days when people like um, Adam Camilleri and other people like mainly down in Australia, we're like, here's my 180 gaunt carpet. Mm-hmm. You get to chew through it. I'm going to win on objectives because you can't kill me fast enough. The classic thing of too many wounds to deal with. Um, and that plays well into things like custodes, where sure, we take the Dakatarai kata against you, which means you only get a, a pile in and consolidate of an inch. But now you get extra ranks to fight and you get extra range to consolidate and pile in because we only subtract two from it. It's not a restricted number of one. It's okay. If you get to pile in three and a half inches, well, now you get to pile in an inch and a half. Yeah, for those who missed the uh, preview article, the other thing they added was um, normally a unit, uh, a model is if they're within. In, in engagement range, then the rest of the unit, they have to be within half an inch of a model in engagement range to uh, actually fight. Uh, the new Gaunt's rules allow, I forget it's called Living Swarm, I think it's called. Yeah. They can be, as long as they're within two and a half inches of another model from that unit in engagement range. So lots of ranks of Gaunt's. So I'm thinking maybe my dream of bringing as many Turvagons and then just keep re- spawning more and more gaunts and just flooding the full table with models would be is legit now who knows <laughs> yeah no it would definitely work because at that point it would force things like custodes okay i'm you have a 20 man brick of hormagants because those are the melee ones right uh yes okay yeah you have 20 hormagants they run up and touch a three or four man sword and board squad. Well, with how many dice that you can get in there, you're probably eating one, which instantly takes away three attacks. So now that's eight. That's either six or nine attacks. (laughs) And that kills six or nine models out of a 20 man unit. 
Think of the math there. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just, and you mentioned before, oh, I've got, you know, I'm T5, I got a two up armor, one plus in cover, and then a four up, you know, four up, possibly three up invul. Uh, if we throw enough dice at you, you will roll enough ones that you will die. <laughs> yeah. And I'm hoping, hoping that they don't give this living swarm rule to gene stealers. I don't think they have it because they have a couple other things. There's a rumor, I've not seen it in any of the previews, that uh, back to the Turvagon example, if there are more than 12 Turvagons in a unit, they actually form like a bodyguard type rule so that you can't target the Turvagon behind the swarm. Yeah, much like a kind of like a anthill with its queen and whatnot. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, the Carnifexes, they, they showed off some of their new stats, you know, they're, they're much more in line with it, with the dreadnoughts of the day. And, um, yeah, yeah it's, we'll see. I mean, it, it, it's definitely interesting. And of course the, uh, the new model, which we did talk about and, um, oh yeah. Like the, the character pseudo flying hive tyrant thing. Yeah. Which can it, at first I kind of rolled it off as oh this is kind of little little too narrative not that great for competitive play but then I reread it again and kind of went okay hold on a second I shoot you if I inflict two or more mortal wounds and I'm only inflicting d3 so there's it's a pretty good chance of this happening on a four plus so okay let's do the math so basically on a so one two thirds divided by half is one third so on a basically we should have made it simple on a five or a six. Uh, you become infected, and not only does a, a ripper swarm come flying out of you, out of that unit for free, it turns off OPSEC. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, how many armies rely on, you know, fairly durable, but, you know, pretty mediocre units that can hold objectives for you? I'm like, going, oh my god. So now you can just turn those off and then throw your faster griblies on that objective and swipe them, you know, before the end of the command phase. I'm like, oh, uh oh. Yeah. And even if that doesn't work, the attack profile on that thing is pretty okay from what I remember. Yeah, we'll have to see how much that really plays into the, the big scheme of things. I mean, the other thing really what I, I want to see from that tiered dead codex, hopefully we'll see more in the previews this, this coming week, is the, the old-fashioned action monkeys from that army you know, the Lictors and um, Death Leaper and stuff like that, they don't work anymore because they're mm -hmm. all one, you know, one model units. What is the new action character, you know, action unit for Tyranids? Is it going to be Gargoyles now? Do you, Turvagons and Homergons, do they, you throw out a few units of five just to get, or six to get stuff done? What is it going to look like? So, yeah, honestly, I think it's going to be, I think there's going to be two ways to play Tyranids competitively. One is going to be just a Crusher Stampede with the new rules, and then someone somewhere is going to figure out how to do the Horde Gaunts like before. Right. So I'd be curious to see that. I still have not given up on Gene Steeler Cult. I just understand that they're a very difficult army to play, and I think we're going to see some of those players rise up and surprise a few people. Because they, they they bring a lot of tricks to the table that honestly you just don't get enough reps against, and um, so I'll be curious to see how that all comes together. 
Yep. All right, so let's wrap things up here. Let's talk about your ITC top 10. And uh, starting with in 10th place from England, Mike Porter. Uh, we're coming in at 799. Uh, 779 points, excuse me. Ninth place, Matt Robertson, also from England, 786. Eighth place, Joseph Gillespie. Seventh place, Jack West. Sixth place, Jay Sebron. Uh, fifth place, Ryan Snyder. We mentioned him before. Um, he uh, one of the top players with Custodes. We'll see if he's able to hold on to it. He's uh, historically been a fast starter in the ITC and then faded towards the last three months of the season. Uh, fourth place, Jamie Balcom. Uh, third place, Sean Rice. Uh, second place, uh, Cyclops himself, James Marsden, with uh, 893 points. And in first place, uh, still hanging in there, is uh, Quinton Johnson. He's got a five-point lead over James at 898 points. Just to uh, keep you in the frame of reference, uh, except for our ninth and tenth place players who've got four events under their belt, the rest of the top ten already have competed in five events so far this season. So uh, get out there and play. I know I am. Yeah, I need to get uh, down to the tournaments behind me. I've got uh, a list that I'm uh, going to run through some paces and i uh, got a little hobby bench work to do. And i um, going to be trying it, hopefully, uh, this week. So I'll get some practicing. I'm still free Monday. I will take you up on that. <laughs> so, meantime, I forgot to mention, uh, there's a popular request. Top teams. Uh, top five for uh, teams this week. Uh, Vanguard Tactics in fifth place. Fourth place, Dice Down. Three place, The War Masters. Second place, Legion and Glasshammer. Surprise, surprise. Uh, in first place, after just having the Glasshammer open. And they're in first place with 2,000 points. Now, remember, only the... Top 10 scores from your team are contributed, and I believe no one player can contribute more than one. I'm going to double-check that as I click on this. I think no one player can contribute more than three scores to the top 10. Yeah, um, I'm. that sounds pretty much correct. Because, like, looking at Glasshammer, um, Matt Robertson on Glasshammer has exactly three scores added, yep. and then Manny Shima has two. Yep. So there you are. So a lot more to go over uh, in the next few weeks as the season continues to twist and turn as we have new releases coming out. Plus, uh, hopefully we'll see some new event formats uh, coming out as well. And uh, soon coming up to uh, Adepticon, uh, which are be some people look at as the true test of the new season, the first major super major of the uh, year. So we'll see who comes out of where to work for that and what innovations they bring to the table. So between then, uh, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminus podcast.